so now it would be a total waste if I didn't use the opportunity of having a proper Brit on the show to squeeze out as much uh, England bashing as possible. <laughs> Actually, I'll, I'll make it worse than that. England versus US. I have an American. Uh, I have a Yank. I have a, a Brit. So England versus US. I want to hear you guys what is worse. And I know this is hard. The monarchy versus mm. the Kardashians. The Republicans <laughs> versus the Tories. All the day imperialism versus modern imperialism go ahead fight it out oh boy um we have larger burgers so that's a point for us i would say um, that, that's a positive we have oh you know what i'll say this we don't do beans on toast please tom defend yourself okay <laughs> what is, so what is this i actually uh have not really had that much beans and toast in my life okay until we were uh. making a video about uh energy prices uh, and I was like, oh, okay, like it's sort of very Britain focused. I was like, what's the like stereotypical thing for me to be doing? And I was like, yeah, the internet loves some beans on toast bashing. I'll go for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't think I've actually, I don't have actually eaten beans on toast before. So my very first beans on toast, at least for a very long time, was me eating what by the time I actually got around to filming that little segment was some incredibly cold beans on. Oh. Some pretty oh. cold toast. Uh, I mean, and soggy toast. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I was. It was. It wasn't as sort of nauseating as you would think. But um, that's. that's uh, I, I, I mean, dip I, my it, bread in my beans all the time. It's perfectly nice. I don't put it on top of the bread. That's weird. But I dip it all the time. Like when I eat beans, I eat bread as well. So I, you know, it gets all nice and filled. It's nice. So I don't understand yeah. the hatred as long as it's not cold. The beans on toast is like a commitment to the bit, isn't it? That's like, that's you're really going for it at that stage. <laughs> well, I think other cultures have their, their beans on stuff. Like Mexican food has plenty of beans on tortillas and stuff like that. But, you know, usually with other stuff as well. So we're probably unfairly bashing the British for this. But is it a breakfast food over there? Is it an all times of day food? Oh, Help me like understand. That's, that's like a, a, a breakfast would be your go-to beans on toast scenario, okay. I think. Uh uh, which isn't to say that uh, you know you might not have it as a snack at some point, but uh, but I think it mm. is like beans. So weird. So in the UK, like beans is always the kind of beans in a can. Like yeah, I don't know. What, I don't know what kind of bean they actually are, but in like tomato sauce. Uh, yeah, like people would clarify if they meant sort of beans in a Mexican dish or something. And beans, for some reason, are like the breakfast vegetable. In the same way that, like, cereal in the middle of the day is, like, a bit, you know, you can do it, but it's a bit, oh, okay, something's something's happened there. Yeah. Uh, beans, Not quite right. <laughs> beans are, like, the sort of the breakfast vegetable, unless there were sausages, in which case that's an acceptable evening. Uh, that's, like, a kind of acceptable evening sort of pub standard sort of beans and sausages. Okay, so you said something there that I, I, I must investigate. My American uh, soul is, is both intrigued and alarmed. The beans come in tomato sauce, like they in the cans, or is it added to the, the, the cans, beans afterwards? Oh wow! Sorry, sorry. Is this? I, I'm I, I'm not sure. I'm maybe I'm not judging well enough. Like how how well beans are sort of British beans. Okay, so, so the beans are like I think they're like Harrod something beans. I can't remember what they're called. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're like I think they're white if they're not in the sauce, but they come like. Uh -huh. Have you ever had? Do you have tin spaghetti? Like spaghetti hoops. 
Yeah, SpaghettiOs, stuff like, like that. Al- yeah, Al- Chef Boyardee stuff, yeah. So I think it's a similar sauce to that, if I'm not. If okay. I'm not mistaken. Okay. But with beans in it, and like, if you said if you mentioned beans to anyone from the UK, that 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 would be the default picture in the their association. head. Mm. Would be cracking cracking. Interesting. It's completely of, different for Eastern. I Europe. I did not like, understand totally. that. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. Like, no one would be like massively shocked if they got a taco and it had beans in it, right? No, that's not going to blow someone's mind. Yeah. But like, right? You you. But like the image, if I said I'm I'm gonna go and have some beans, would be beans in tomato sauce, in a can. Fascinating. I've learned so much already. <laughs> okay, and we have so much more to talk about. Um, you guys have public transportation at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't speak big to the point, efficacy of it. Point. We don't have that. Uh, we have very large trucks. Um, oh, but that's that also prone. quite impressive. Cause I mean. It's a truck and it's big. That is like a point. Yes. That's a point right there. They're, they've gotten horrifying, some of them here. I saw one the other day and I went and stood in front of it because I was curious. And sure enough, my head did not come to the top of like I, I could not see over the hood. It was so wow. tall. I was like, wow. And it wasn't like a monster truck. This was, I mean, it's a big truck. It was like a Ford F-350 or something. But they had it then lifted even further on massive tires. I'm like, man, this thing is a killdozer. And it's you're not wild. Like, and You're not like a small man. I'm I'm not huge. I'm five nine, which is I don't know what that is in centimeters. Either eighty well, something. Yeah, I mean, like there are. Someone did a oh, what news network was it? They did a, a test to. Um, they took a parent who who drives a pickup truck, and they went to the school, and they brought all the kids out, and they 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 lined them up in front of the pickup truck to see how many kids it took before they could see the top of a child's head. Um, <laughs> And it was like it was like sixteen children or something before oh they could gosh. see one of them. I was like, man, that is not that is not safe. That is not safe. You can lift just lift the truck so much that it will drive over it. <laughs> they just child. go right underneath. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. You solve so all back car to being crashes safer ever. Again. <laughs> so you you literally make like uh, like fifty percent of the car is super tall and the other fifty percent of the car is super low, and uh, you will cut traffic accidents by 50% in my fictional world where statistics work that way because all the small cars are going to pass underneath the trucks always so it can only be a truck hitting a truck or a tiny car hitting a tiny car uh, but they would see each other from far away the trucks because they're like tall they're above the houses or whatever and the tiny cars I don't know they, they're just fucked yeah but uh, th- you see that there are American solutions to uh, infrastructure problems you know maybe the Brits have buses and uh, and a metro uh, but uh, you guys literally every single American citizen can have a bus of its own you just call it trucks you know <laughs> I wouldn't I this wouldn't oversell our public transport either I uh, so I live out in the southwest of England and we have a relatively good, I guess, I don't know, motorway system, uh, which is like our highways. But I'm like out on the bottom peninsula of the country and it just sort of stops mm-hmm. halfway. Uh, so we don't have a particularly good road. But also I live on the Great Western Railway, which was one of sort of Isambard Kingdom Brunel, kind of like classic age of steam sort of impressive big infrastructure project but when he Mm. was building it it could either go across the sort of middle of the country across the moors or it could go along the sea and in a sort of classic english gentleman bravado kind of thing he was like oh no it would be so much more scenic if it goes directly by the sea and it is Mm -hmm. an amazing view as you go along like with like the 
literally the tracks and then 100 200 meters of beach and then the sea just like the oh, expanse wow. but if the tide is high or it's stormy sometimes the entire <laughs> railway for this part of the country just gets shut off completely because <laughs> it's too dangerous for the trains to go uh, which it did oh. the other day i don't know if it's reopened but yesterday i think it was it got closed off anywhere past uh exeter which is which is like a good chunk of country it's it's yeah not maybe not by like american standards but by uk standards you've got like a two and a half hour drive of country left um past that point yeah that's significant that's because your trains aren't big enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Though we had, we put in one train recently, and it is. Uh, we are so proud of how uh, how fast it is, and it's slower than one that the the Japanese did fifty years ago. And we've already had a, a fatality involving a car and the trains. <laughs> so we're the Americans are fighting back. God damn it, we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna take this sitting down. We're gonna drive on them tracks. <laughs> and okay, give me one more comparison point. You touched food. You touched public transportation. Give me one more sense of humor, maybe, or uh, aesthetics, because uh, there's always like the two uh, stereotypes, you know, the, but and they're kind of the laziest, you know, oh, you Americans are fat, oh, you British have fucked up teeth, et cetera, et cetera. But I think you can go deeper than that. I think you can give me something mm. spicier. Come on. Fight for your country, goddammit. I got, I got two leftists to Here, be patriots. I love it. How about this? How about this? Our cultural dominance. I think the United States wins on that one. We got Coca-Cola. We got blue jeans. We've got you guys. I will admit, you guys have Peaky Blinders, and <laughs> that is that is the closest we've we've come to being dethroned <laughs> in terms of media. But, but it's such a good other show. than that, it's oh god, it's so good. I, yeah. I feel uh, like I occasionally see stuff from the U.S. where there's sort of fears of kind of declining empire and the sort of cultural yeah. stuff being of empire in decline, and I feel like we are maybe a hundred years or or at least fifty years sort of further down the line uh, mm-hmm. to you in that yeah. where a lot of our kind of political conversation is clearly comes from a place of feeling like we were once really quite important and that mm-hmm. maybe yeah. now no one cares actually and uh but wanting to still feel as though we're like this big world power that everyone needs to take seriously and therefore we need to have nuclear weapons and we need to be mm. going to all the big conferences and in reality i think uh no one no one gives a shit so, uh, yeah. so you you might have uh you, you might have that to come maybe you're maybe you're big enough to to still carry some weight even if uh a more multipolar world does uh emerge i can imagine yeah. like netanyahu like after uh this uh ethnic cleansing which is going on in Gaza began uh, was like sitting uh, sitting in front of the TV waiting to see what uh, you know the world leaders are gonna are gonna say and all of a sudden Joe Biden stumblingly comes out on stage and he says we support Israel etc etc and then uh, the, the the British PM like pops up on screen like three seconds afterwards and he's he goes out with his accent he's like and we also and Netanyahu just changes the channel yeah yeah we know bro like we nobody gives a fuck <laughs> yeah he's there so oh. Rishi Sunak is is as we're recording has like landed in Israel to sort of I don't know I don't know what like like there's just this photo of him at the airport and I was like I, like what do you think you're like gonna do here like I could just imagine <laughs> getting off the plane and being like oh no one's actually sort of turned up to meet me actually uh but i am i am here <laughs> we're not entirely sure who you are <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> you could even have like racial connotations. They could be like, what? There's an Arab coming down out of a fucking a brown plane. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. The United States is heading down that the same path where we're snuggling close to you now and saying, Britain, I'm scared. You're like, it's okay, United <laughs> States. <laughs> We've been here before. We will guide you. <laughs> like an AA meeting, but for ex-empires. Well, howdy, y'all. Welcome back to The Deep Program. Today, we have with us none other than the Tom Nicholas. Tom makes videos on politics, history, and culture, and is the brain behind such banger videos as The Fake Futurism of Elon Musk, Johnny Harris, A Story of YouTube Propaganda, and most recently, The Rise and Fall of Patreon, which we're going to talk about today. So, Tom, thank you for coming on, and please tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hello, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my name's Tom Nicholas. Uh, I uh, make videos for the internet, I guess. Uh, I always think, <laughs> like, how people who do, which maybe this will come up in our conversation, how people who sort of do this kind of stuff we do describe what they do, I always find really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a bit in a video that I'm writing at the moment about, like, do you describe yourself as, like, a YouTuber or a podcaster or yeah. you know, like, what terminology do you use? Um do you you know do you describe yourself as like a a, a, a videographer or an a, influencer, an influencer. A content creator yeah. <laughs> i'm a i'm a freelance document short form documentary there you go that one's <laughs> yeah. the healthiest for old people i think yeah that one sounds good doesn't yeah. it that one sounds like like yeah. art like if someone asks me i'm like well yeah. i sort of make uh, <laughs> yeah. videos and they sort of go and then like if, if someone asks my wife she's like yeah he's a youtuber and like, and that is yeah. clearly the, <laughs> that's clearly the response that makes sense to like other people whereas i'm like, yeah. oh, so, like are you familiar with the annoying orange or fred or potter puppet pals i do that <laughs> yeah. i'm one of those people <laughs> I love how depending on their age, like you either in their eyes have the absolute dream job ever, yeah. or they literally ask you, uh, but uh, uh, can you like make a living off of that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like th that's the, yeah. that's the two contrasts of reactions I get. Uh, I love it though. I love it. It's always like a little gamble with uh, especially new people that, uh, that you get introduced to. I think depending on, depending on age, they either think you're definitely absolutely loaded they're like oh, okay yeah no if you're doing mm -hmm. that full time you're like you're you're making bank or they're like oh wow how do you how would that how do you pay Are you like, starving yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I'll, I'll get the drinks don't worry man i'll get the drink <laughs> yeah, <then. laughs> sorry yeah so i so I'm, i make videos about kind of politics and, and a lot of history I, I that's sort of by accident i always think my my channel is sort of a secret history channel sometimes uh, that it sounds yeah. like it's going to be super topical and then it's like so uh the french revolution uh but um <laughs> yeah. yeah but all kinds of things whatever's sort of interesting me but vaguely uh political current affairs uh topical kind of stuff yeah it's an excellent channel it's one of the ones actually i don't know if you remember this tom when i was thinking about um appearing on camera for the first time i you were one of the people that i watched and like he looks so put together on camera like completely casual like he's not i can he's not reading it doesn't look like he's reading from a teleprompter and so i was like how do you do that anyway so had to had to thank you for that you can all thank tom for me not completely looking like a fool um on camera it takes some practice we've just been filming a video uh which involves doing some filming outside and all of the bits mm -hmm. where i'm outside 
I look like I'm shit scared someone's about to walk around the corner. <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah. I'm just like, oh, uh, here's my lines. <laughs> and then yeah, it goes back to some voiceover bit and I sound really smooth and casual again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the stuff we, you know, we talk about with the with the cultural analysis stuff, you're like, oh, I, I really don't want to get stabbed today. Like, where can I walk where no one will see me? <laughs> mm, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Alas, it, alas. It was, uh, it's, we're making a video about, uh, the, so in the UK they've just hired this massive barge to use to house asylum seekers, which is mm-hmm. horrific, and it's a it's massive insane. kind of fire hazard, and it's horrible, uh, and so we were down near it filming, and I was really, and there's, there's no one, there's no one aboard it at the moment, because, because it got a, there was a Legionella scare, so they had to take them off. Oh, wow. Uh, so, you know, which is case in point that it's a horrible idea, but, uh. But I was very aware that any of the locals were probably a bit sick of like news crews or whatever coming down and sort of they're probably a bit like, oh, great. Like, this is what our town is at the moment. Uh, mm, so, yeah. yeah. So if anyone was anywhere nearby, I was like, oh, just, just pretend we're making like a nature documentary or something. <laughs> yeah. Or like when they come at you, are like, oh, no, 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 I'm not from the TV. I'm not from. The- I'm a YouTuber. OK. <laughs> oh, yeah. That makes it better. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, man, yeah, continue, bro. Continue, bro. You want to come to my house for some lunch? I love you. Well, we uh, we, we dragged you onto this podcast uh, against your will because you made a video recently about Patreon. And it's a really good video. It's a, it's a little bit of a scary video for, for people like us because a lot of us really rely on Patreon for you know financial stability and stuff. Um, and it seems like Patreon has kind of gone off the deep end. And since we're all on Patreon and we're, we're pretty familiar with it, I think I can speak for all of us when I say it's, it's, a, it's an important part of our financial security, our stability. It's an important part of funding our projects. This is a pretty big deal. So can you give the audience a quick rundown of what's going on with the platform? Yeah, so I've had a sort of long-standing interest in uh, what often gets called the creator economy and how that mm-hmm. works. Uh, so this is the kind of vague phrase that gets used to describe kind of the stuff that we do, I guess, sort of whether it's making videos for YouTube or for TikTok or making podcasts or twitch streaming i think the vagueness of the term is kind of uh the the point i guess is that it feels kind of expansive i think it's the less negative version of the influencer economy right because i don't mm-hmm. think anyone enjoyed being uh called uh, an influencer and patreon's a massive part of that right um i think as you just said so many people who make uh, YouTube videos or do podcasts or uh, I don't know if it's the same on TikTok. I, my feeling is that perhaps slightly less, but mm-hmm. it's a huge part of the economy of it. It's a huge part of the culture of it as well. I think yeah. it appeared at a time when the idea of being able to do a lot of this stuff professionally was kind of taking off both for creators but also for audiences right the idea that actually watching stuff on youtube or listening to podcasts could be a sort of sensible thing to do a sensible way to spend your time yeah rather than just being like well why aren't you watching tv uh like all that was taking off and it sort of launched at just the right time in fact it's sort of wild the extent to which even like super casual people that you know listen to podcasts or whatever are aware of what Patreon is and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what it means to be a patron of someone. 
you know on a sort of corporate level that brand pervasiveness is all over the place and that's because it felt like a real cultural moment i think when it launched and through its uh growth but sort of over the last sort of six months maybe nine months maybe a little bit longer than that uh, i think i'd sort of been keeping a bit of an eye on it and it was interesting to see that some of that growth that we'd kind of come to expect from the platform where it felt like it was always just getting bigger and it felt like every creator that you saw on youtube or podcast you saw that that had blown up in popularity would naturally also have a massive patreon account um Mm -hmm. i think i I started to notice that if i you know watch someone new on youtube who's, who's making like fantastic work and i was like oh this person's great uh, and it felt like they were they were blowing up, you know, for all, all kinds of reasons, but also that, you know, they were doing good stuff and it was getting traction and they were getting audiences and you'd look in the comments and people were really enthusiastic. And then you'd sort of go over to their Patreon account and you'd be like, oh, this is actually a little bit surprising that it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it's tens of thousands of people. Um, and I'm sure that does still happen for some creators. I think certain styles of... Uh, podcast and video etc probably work true crime <laughs> yeah yeah uh which oh which yeah the the rise of true crime oh i won't get like fa- fascinating like so the, <laughs> the the top patreon account used to be a it's not quite anymore i think it's still top three an account called true crime obsessed which mm-hmm. uh if if anyone's listening and like is by a computer go to true crime obsessed patreon because all of the imagery is like them doing really like hammy smiley faces yeah. i think they're like throwing confetti or something and it's yeah. like all hot pink and stuff and then and you're just like oh this feels distasteful i've not listened to an episode of this podcast <laughs> yeah. but i can tell i would be like oh no what like there's no ethical consideration here whatsoever not at all <laughs> no just the 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 disconnect between you know talking about dismembered family members yeah. or or some horrific crime and then these like smiling goons like what are you doing <laughs> I don't know. People love it. But yeah, yeah, no, people, people, uh, uh, I mean, my, yeah, my theory on that is that true crime, uh, really worked on podcasts because the discoverability on podcasts sucks. And so searching for true crime is really easy in a way that a lot of other things aren't. But yeah, no, so there are still, you know, uh, creators that launch a Patreon and it, and it does really well, but they do feel like they're kind of few and far between. If you go and look up the top, 50 patreon accounts um the the majority of them are folks that you recognize that have been around for some time you know um which you know is not i'm not you know saying that that's you know that they're not doing good work or whatever um but yeah and then maybe so towards the beginning of this year patreon sent out an email to all the creators that said they were going to drop their goals feature so for anyone that's not sort of aware of patreon or or the sort of culture around it. They used to have a thing that existed on someone's Patreon page that was, you could sort of set a goal and that could either be a certain amount of money. So, you know, $200 a month, $500 a month, whatever, or it could be a number of patrons. So it could be, you know how numbers work. It could be 20 patrons or (laughs) 50 patrons or whatever. Uh, And like when you, the idea was that you'd set yourself something that you would do when you got that. It might be that you go, ah, if we're, when we're making this amount of money, we're going to move into an office or studio or we're going to take on an editor or whatever. Or it could be, 
uh, I've got this really cool idea for a video, but I'm not going to make it until uh, mm -hmm. I hit that goal. And usually it'd be something like, it'd be like a weird idea for a video. I think a lot of people did it because then it would be like a sort of fan favorite kind of thing. Yeah. But this email sort of went around saying they were going to drop it. And there was this statistic in there, uh, which I've lost now. Uh, I'm going to try and find it. That said that like a really small uh, number of people who used that feature, which felt like a really really popular feature uh actually weren't uh gaining any new patrons it's 4.4.5 percent i've just found the figure hmm. um mm -hmm. which felt like a really small number of people to be get gaining more uh patrons over time and so i went into some of the data around it and was was looking at it and taking a look at sort of how is the average number of uh patrons going up and down at the time but also it felt like culturally around the company that it really felt like it had lost a bit of steam yeah um mm. they very recently actually about four days after we put out the video they've done a kind of big relaunch which they'd been trailing for some time we we sort of knew it was coming as like as i was writing it i knew that was something that was on the horizon i didn't know it was going to launch quite at the same time that it did uh but which is a total rethink of the yeah site completely and maybe in some ways we'll get to kind of really shift what the what the platform is uh about and the heart of the reason for a lot of these changes um which mostly revolve around moving away from the model of patreon as we know it where it is where it revolves around fans signing up to donate a monthly amount in re return for some perks of some description and shifts more towards sort of just being an online shop, I guess, for creators. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the sort of motivating factor behind a lot of that is that the company took on a huge amount of venture capital investment and Classic. had a really big time during the pandemic. During the pandemic, Patreon almost sort of got a second launch, I think I say in the video, you know, it had that early launch where lots of people had been like, oh, we'll try out this new thing and try it out. And then it had sort of, you know, got to a, a bit where a lot of the people that were going to try out Patreon, either as backers or as creators, had sort of tried it out already. And then the pandemic came along. And of course, lots of people were becoming online creators, either to supplement lost income during the pandemic or to because they had time to do something new and uh patreon sort of got this second launch where it went through, sort of to the moon as they say uh, uh -huh. and obviously now that has subsided and growth has sort of tailed off in a way that shouldn't necessarily mean the end of a company it's still it's still growing mm. to some extent but not in quite the same not in quite the same stratospheric numbers which venture capital investors sort of require for your company to be deemed a success. Mm. Isn't it kind of interesting that uh, the company's success to an extent relies on how much money it's generating for it, the content creators that are using said platform, but that's only because that is how it's set up right now. Then the company can go basically, I guess, two ways, especially after having acquired so much venture capital, which always, for those listening who don't know, just means that the company is going to get, uh, let's use uh, simplistic terms, uh, greedier because it 
even more going to uh, revolve around uh, profit margins. Uh, so yeah, what I'm saying is uh, they are either going to go with the path of uh, trying to get more people to support more creators on said platform to kind of potentially boost their numbers or what is much more likely try to find, I love the fucking terms, uh, alternative revenue streams, right? Mm -hmm. And that is, and those potential alternative revenue streams are kind of uh, scary sounding for both, in my opinion for both creators and uh, and people who support creators on on the platform because you never know where the head the mind of a corporate executive can go when it comes to trying to find uh, additional income without uh, without pursuing what the original mission of the given let's mm. uh, product or in this case services i mean very dumb example but everybody can fucking understand it uh, most people at least listening uh, at some point, video game developers were like, okay, if we better the particular product, better the particular game, uh, we're not seeing uh, enough returns on just how much time and capital we've invested in uh, creating a better, less glitchy, better written product and so on. Why don't we just add a bunch of DLCs and a bunch of uh, loot boxes in the game? Uh, they did it, ended up revenue, you know, skyrocketing, especially in the first three, four years of that happening. And they found another, another basically way to make money. So they stepped away from making good games and uh, great games and started making good games, but uh, with a, a, a added ga uh, gambling element to it. Mm. So uh, long story short, is going to be interesting to say the very least what kind of uh, uh, direction the Patreon execs might and, and investors especially might take to generate more money. Hopefully it's to get more people to become patrons, but... Mm. Uh, somehow I doubt it. Somehow I assume the, see it, yeah. I assume the lowest hanging fruit would be they look at the percentage they're currently taking from each pledge and be like, why not uh -huh. just increase that? Uh -huh. I think video games, video games is a really good... Uh, comparison there in fact w like when i was writing it i had sort of loads more section headings for myself in my script than sort of appear in the video and in one of the sections i sort of titled that it was a you know about the whales which is a sort of phrase that gets used in discussing modern video games which have lots of microtransactions so mm. so yeah the, the main sort of problem for patreon at the moment is that it doesn't seem like it's gaining new creators and new you know new patrons for those creators at the rate it once did and it needs to still have some kind of growth to show its investors and it's a similar thing to uh, those those video games companies who went you know we've we've got a video game and it sells a million a hundred million copies i don't i don't know enough about video games to know <laughs> yeah. whether that's like the best-selling game ever or like nothing but <laughs> so you know and if they say they is selling a hundred million copies uh and they go okay but to sell like twice that we've got to do loads more marketing like yeah we're gonna make the game better so they get some more word of mouth we've got to rethink about how we pitch this to people uh and actually those second or even the next 10 million people might be so much harder to sell a game to than the first 100 million because yeah. you've got your mm. people who will buy every PlayStation exclusive game, right? And maybe all of them have already bought it and now you're trying to sell it to people who maybe have a console and a 
buy one game every six months or maybe you're trying to sell it to people who don't even have the console yet and therefore would need to buy not only the game but the console so you'd have to really sell them on it and like that gets harder and harder as you go on but what if you could sell the game to the same 100 million people uh <laughs> no idea whether that's a realistic number or not uh <laughs> what if you could sell the game to the same number of people but actually half of those you can increase the amount of money you make from those people by selling them a load of stuff within the game that makes them better at it and makes them you know makes it easier for them to win you're essentially rather than trying to win over more casual uh, customers you're actually going how can we get more money out of the customers that we already mm. have and that's out the of kind the of whales yeah yeah out, out of those whales how do you you know get get as much money out of those whales as possible i mean in a way that's always in a i guess if you wanted to be really cynical about it that is the way that patreon works for creators i don't know without mm. wanting to the original idea was that you know you can get 500,000 views on a video and the ad revenue that comes back is i think slightly better these days than maybe it was when patreon launched but mm -hmm. maybe doesn't represent doesn't feel like it represents that number or whatever whereas if 2000 of those 500,000 people like really love it that isn't expressed in a kind of financial sense right so the idea was that you know some people might only get 2000 views on a video but everyone absolutely adores it and can't wait for the next one and that it's a way of financing that for those 200 200 no those 2000 people sorry who really really like it even if it's not getting 500,000 people who sort of think that mm, video is mm -hmm. okay and it you know it used up some of their day and it feels like yeah the, the paths for growth for patreon now are either that somehow it manages to rediscover growth by getting a lot more creators making stuff and using patreon and then onboarding lots of uh, patrons to support their work or it finds new ways to make more money from each of the creators that are already there and it very much feels with these new features that it's been launching and just the general direction it's been going in that it's going for that latter option of it's going okay how can we make creators so there's a real push to bring creators more into the ecosystem uh, and make them you know that little bit more reliant on patreon as a kind mm -hmm. of platform for making all of all of their money right so not only having a kind of memberships feature where people pay a bit each month but also what if that could be your merch store and what if you could sell individual episodes of podcasts and what if that could be your mailing list platform that you use as well what if you know they've made their own version of discord and so one thing is that that really traps people into the Patreon system, mm -hmm. right? It becomes really hard to de-link yourself from it. But also that a lot of this stuff comes with additional sort of fees, which gradually add mm -hmm. up uh, to the point where creators are handing over quite a lot of money to... to Features they won't use. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's one of the big things is, is features that they won't use. It's really interesting, actually, in the response to... Uh, the video i talked about a bunch of new features that patreon was adding and a lot of commenters were just like oh i use patreon quite a lot but i've not heard of any of this stuff right? yeah i i sign up 
I give some money to someone every month and you know sometimes there's a bonus thing that I watch or read or whatever uh, but half of this stuff if the creators they support don't use it they've got no idea it exists existed and even some creators who were like oh I've never heard of merch for memberships or something mm-hmm. um which is which I think is one of the the much deeper crisis for Patreon is as well as not it not being in a place where it's growing particularly at the moment is that people don't really use Patreon most users sign up to support someone and then never visit the website again unless there's a mm-hmm. problem with their payment or something yeah. uh, I think if you talk to creators you'll often find that although a lot of supporters sort of like to know there are some perks they'll maybe engage with the the big ones if you've made like a bonus video or something but a lot of the perks won't get a huge amount of uh, engagement because actually you know people like to know it's there but people are mostly using patreon to support the stuff that they've already Mm -hmm. seen and that's going to be the the real tough thing for patreon is patreon isn't a place where people hang out um, in the same right. way that most people have a discord if they have a they might have a patreon exclusive discord but the actual place that people well, hang still out, on discord yeah, yeah it's not like on platform so it doesn't really have its own user base it only has the user base that creators create on it and a lot of people aren't using those features it's almost just a fancy middleman at this point like yeah it's yeah. a really fancy middleman it's trying exactly to position itself as it something else yeah and in my opinion if it completely focused on that it could expand a lot more but who am i i'm not a, a investor sorry please continue, Tom. <laughs> or it could just do its thing well right it doesn't yeah, need to like yeah. it, like it, it it could not have to expand infinitely forever until it consumes the uh entire universe it could just do a thing well and pay a team and be content and with that yeah probably make it probably make a, a handsome profit right but so you say the, the, the ultimate kind of impetus for a lot of this is that patreon has taken a huge huge amount of uh, venture capital money and the way that venture capital works is that it's it tends to be investment for really early on for companies that are really early on and therefore are like really risky um yeah so vc money is behind a lot of your big tech companies so would would have invested in in, in facebook's and your, your google's and your twitter's and your all, all of these but for every one of those that is now absolutely humongous is 20 that vanished into oblivion it's your your juiceros can you remember juicero uh-uh. so this was the kind of smart techie uh, juice, sorry, juicero. I think is probably the. This is your like smart techie juicer for all your sort of cool Silicon Valley types. And it, <laughs> um, it was this like incredibly overly engineered sort of press thing for the side of your kitchen, and you put packets in it, and it would squeeze the packet of juice into a cup. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I love it. The, the juice oh. came as juice. It wasn't. I mean, may, I don't know, maybe there was some slightly bulkier bits of orange still in there or whatever, but primarily what it did is squeeze the juice from the packet into the into cup. Into a glass. And I just Amazing. Googled it, and the, like the second thing that came out is a picture of a woman just juicing it from the package with her hands. And it yeah. says, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't even need the $400 Wi-Fi juicer to get their juice. 
so like class for every twitter or facebook or uber there's a million well not a million okay there's 20 of these companies that come up with something that's absolutely weird and never takes off and crashes and burns which means that the companies that do do well they want to make do like really really well so the Mm -hmm. kind of industry standard is that you want a 10 times return on your investment which is mad right that's an interest rate yeah it's enormous a thousand percent i'm not good at math yeah it's a thousand percent yeah uh which is yeah nuts and so that's sort of where patreon's at right it's had um at its peak which was mid-pandemic, Patreon was valued at $4 billion, which is, um, for a company that sort of processes payments and doesn't actually process the payments itself, it has a company (laughs) that does it for it. Uh, So it's sort of a skin for processing payments, uh, is a huge amount of money. Yeah, that's a great little scheme. Yeah, and and like if you could just be like, ah, we make some money processing payments, it's relatively chill, uh i i'd be happy like you know like team team of you could you could have probably quite a substantial team of you doing a little bit each day going home and having a nice evening reading a book but because it's had all this vc money it has this drive to need to have growth upon growth upon Mm. growth which i think we're seeing it's i think we're seeing that it's struggling to do and therefore all of these new features that it's announcing are partly about turning the screws a little bit to be able to get more in- more revenue from each of its creators. But it's partly just about just it kind of scrambling around and throwing stuff at the wall and hoping that some of it sticks. Well, that, that kind of leads us to a broader conversation about the creator economy. Do you think Patreon is kind of a bellwether for what's for what's happening? Do you see the creator economy developing towards this direction where everything just continues to get a little bit worse and more exploitative over time or will there be maybe better options for creators to self-fund or crowdfund or do you think uh platforms like patreon will continue to to enshittify as you called it in in your video yeah i mean it's it's hard to say right because i think a lot of the so in some ways the problems that patreon's facing are ones that countless other countries uh companies sorry have faced as well uh there was the example recently of not one pot what's the uh sort of slow cooker that is the sort of main slow cooker in the u.s which got bought by i think by uh, some vc investors and they tried to turn Mm -hmm. it into like a subscription and previously it had just been like a good product that you bought once and then maybe you bought another one in your life uh but they needed to turn it into this infinite growth machine and then it failed massively uh in in some ways patreon is a one example of a type of company which of which many many exist at the moment um particularly since the kind of financial crisis of 2008 but in other ways a lot of its crises are kind of very specific to it like it it didn't really when it had lots of creators joining it they didn't work on the website enough the the website remained really clunky So it never Mm. became this sort of gathering point for people. Um, It never built a kind of discovery system. So it's completely reliant on people making it big on YouTube, for example, and bringing people over. No one just browses the Patreon website for creators to support. And and I think generally the quote-unquote creator economy, I don't know, feels 
relatively healthy mm. but i think it's inter- it is interesting if you look at something like tiktok in comparison to something like youtube you see that there is a massive decline in the amount of money that creators are making on tiktok mm-hmm. um in that tiktok is much more reliant on sort of user generated content in the original sort of sense of that word in that there are tiktok creators but the amount of money that you make on tiktok from making videos is like nothing it's it's absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely tiny you can you can have like millions and millions of views and it will be like you'll have like 10 10 quid like it like a, like a yeah, genuinely yeah. nothing yeah that's sort, terrible sort oh, of nothing yeah. like that's really interesting so so sort of you youtube has always been the standout really in that it has this system where it places ads on videos and it gives creators 45 percent. i want to say the cut is which in many ways is ridiculous right that you know in a, if, if you were to sort of look at things through a sort of lens of of, of fairness or whatever and mm, sort of yeah you would go okay so so one party to this agreement is creating a a video from scratch is writing a thing is filming a thing is editing a thing you know which can all be very expensive the other party to this agreement is sort of you know running a running a website and putting a advert in front of it and it's the latter that gets the bigger chunk of the money you'd possibly go oh that doesn't seem great but my my feeling is that 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 youtube has probably always regretted the amount of money that it gives to creators that it probably thinks that was a bit more generous than it would have liked than it probably could have got away with sorry is probably um and in one way one way it has probably made it more resilient as a platform because actually having a platform where creators you know can make enough money that you can like invest in making stuff that has good production value has probably helped it to continue having a monopoly on online video mm. which i would still say it does in some ways because tiktok just oh, feels yeah. a bit more specific maybe tiktok understands how youtubers and tiktok understands that tiktok content creators if they want to make money they will also create alternative revenue streams specifically through youtube and even for some patreon etc etc depending on how complex the tiktok uh, content is so i think tiktok knows this and plays this card in in its own right and for its own uh, purpose and goal and it's kind of not rebranding itself but in the eyes of most creators has kind of defined themselves as you know this isn't going to be the place where you get more money but the but this is going to be the place where you get more eyeballs right mm-hmm. so because of the algorithm and how easily it can get you in front of millions of people and can you know let you grow from one follower to hundreds of thousands literally in a week which is borderline impossible on youtube even in like half a year nowadays with the recent algorithm let alone uh let alone a week so uh, tiktok's positioning kind of yes it's a it's does video and it does short form but uh it would be in my opinion a relative mistake not a mistake but it would uh, it would be like comparing apples and oranges compared to youtube youtube is this as you said like leviathan that uh, that has created this specific model with this particular uh, way of sh- quote-unquote sharing revenue with creators more like taking revenue from creators but uh, hey youtube gods listening i love you also patreon <laughs> gods listening i love you too 
And because it's it's a staple for so long, both as an incredibly famous platform, literally the one place where you go and watch video. Doesn't it feel weird when, I don't know, you're on Instagram and you watch a video or you're like on a random website and it's like not uh, a plugged, embedded YouTube thing? Yeah. Basically, it's, it's part of the cultural zeitgeist, but also the way it works is part part of the cultural zeitgeist. Like most people that, uh, you know, are big uh, YouTube watchers, let's call it, I would argue like 70, 80% of them know kind of how this works, know that these con- the content creators are getting money for the ads and so on, and they naturally click on them, or they even go and support them on a particular platform and so on. So what, what I'm saying is that like YouTube's got it figured out, and more and more people are coming, and more and more people are viewing, et cetera, et cetera. So it, no matter even how much uh, venture capital comes in, uh, they uh, they have an answer on you know how we can potentially achieve this uh, capitalistic uh, eternal growth model but uh, but as our dear guest uh, said some some other platforms that did that haven't become part of this cultural zeitgeist, haven't become uh, something that can just offer so many different things. Like YouTube, you can, right now YouTube is open on my screen and I have, why do conservatives, conservative shows all look the same? And also the fake naughty invasion, like about steroids. Like mm. it's it's everything is on the, like all, the entire internet, but only in video format is, is on YouTube. While uh, other digital uh, products for creators uh, because they they did not have this expansiveness, uh, and even if they tried to have this expansiveness, they'd be what they'd be competing with uh, YouTube or TikTok would get fucked. Uh, so uh, most likely they'll, as we see, go in directions that are uh, very loot boxy. But yeah, let's see. No, no, I think I think you're right that we are both both online and off. We're living in the age of monopoly, right? And um, um, monopsony where the end goal for all of these companies is to be the one company that does that thing. Mm-hmm. And once they're the one company that does that thing to then also be the one company that does another thing as well in that Google is the search engine, right? There are other search engines, but I bet if we looked up Google's market share right now in terms of sort of monthly active users, it would be yeah. ridiculous. Amazon, I think in the U S uh, it's a- approaching like 50% of all online retail purchases happen mm. through Amazon, whether that's actually buying the stuff from Amazon, which I'm sort of led to believe is doesn't make them any money, or uh, through buying stuff through Amazon Marketplace, which is sort of really their cash cow because other shops then pay to keep stuff in their warehouses uh, and they just it, and and pay to boost stuff on the page. Um but I think in terms of the creator economy, yeah, like, I don't know, TikTok sort of interests me as a thing of, of like, is it is that where the is that where we're going? Or does the fact that, you know, YouTube launched its shorts feature and paid what I'm I'm fairly certain is more than you are likely to get paid for making a video on TikTok. And it'd be really interesting to see whether yeah. that means that TikTok suddenly loses um, eyeballs and creators or whether TikTok sort of wins out, because actually, it's a good question. Yeah, yeah. T- what TikTok's work worked out is that actually people will spend a lot of time and effort and money making videos for your platform just because they want the eyeballs, right? And they want they, you know, they understandably people have skills and uh, knowledge and stuff they want to share with the world, 
and will do that not for monetary gain uh and therefore they can sort of rely on that and once that person burns out or doesn't have time to do it anymore there's going to be someone else right it feel it feels almost like early youtube where people were doing it just for the hell of it just because mm. they wanted to share something they wanted to do a funny skit they wanted to show you how to solve a rubik's cube or whatever so it's it's a more modern form of that for sure it's a more self-aware form of that but i think maybe that vibe where it's not it doesn't feel as sell outy as youtube maybe that's refreshing to a lot of people i don't know mm. but then then the flip side of that is that the creators aren't getting paid for it right i guess so it's but but right. I, I see what you mean there's like both those sides to it there's like uh what is what is normal in the digital era for example creating content and getting paid for it right uh the at the beginning, that wasn't normal. Then there were platforms yeah. that were like, okay, let's do it. Or there were content creators that were like, I'm not no longer going to do it unless you pay me, et cetera, et cetera. And that became a fucking, now it sounds like a Twitter guy, but uh, that became normalized, right? For YouTube, it became normalized for the 45%. For Patreon, as the number one platform for you to go and support someone, became normalized as a thing to do. It became normal for you to watch certain content and to think, okay, I extra, extra like this person. So I'm going to go and give them five bucks, 50 bucks, 500 bucks or whatever. That is, that is something that became like uh, natural. Let's use the term that, that ideology was embraced by us as the status quo. TikTok, on the other hand, I don't know if it's the strategy I talked about before, if it's actually planned out or if it's maybe, I mean, now that we're talking about it, just pure luck in the beginning, they didn't monetize. They still have a shit ton of people making a lot of shit without monetizing it. So why the fuck monetize it, right? From TikTok's capitalistic perspective, why give these people money? Are they making me hundreds of billions and creating content for me and so on without me paying them a cut? Yes, they are. So up until a moment, just like every interaction between, I guess, you know, uh, owner and employee in the case of the relationship between TikTok as a platform and its content creators until they say, oh, you know, I'm not making this shit unless I'm getting paid for. TikTok's never going to give them money. Why would TikTok absolutely ever give them money? Because as I said previously, it's normal. Like TikTok as a platform, normal behavior of TikTok as a platform is defined as, you know, I don't give you money. Imagine if like YouTube emailed all creators and said, you know, we're going to pay you 25% less from now on uh, from ad revenue. Their fucking website is going to burn down because every second video by every single creator is going to be about that. Quite literally, like, let's call it digitally protesting it and so on. So it's going to be like, it's a very interesting question, like not question, but topic to raise because it's going to be very interesting to see where both TikTok or Patreon go because there's no such thing as what's defined as a normal relationship between those platforms and, uh, uh, and their creators with TikTok more so than with Patreon, obviously, but... Yeah, very, very exciting times. More terrifying than exciting, but yeah. Yeah, let's see what, what happens. Although then it's been, it's been quite interesting to see Twitter, um, as much as that is now, I don't know, almost... The everything platform fucking kill me. Uh, oh my God. So but like, yeah. they've got these weird monetization things where like if you... So now if you become a... It's not called Twitter Blue anymore. I don't know what it's called. A subscriber to Twitter. A, if you're a paid <laughs> user of Twitter, whatever it's called yeah. this week... Uh, if you do that, then you get some form of kickback from the ads that are included in replies to your tweets, uh, which means that you end up with this weird thing where 
the whole website and all the interactions on it and not only it sort of weirdly public and like sort of performed in the way that all tiktok and all twitter sorry interactions are but also become a financial thing as well uh i've been Mm -hmm. doing a little bit of thinking lately about we're just talking a second ago about how you know at, at some point it wasn't normal to get paid for anything you do uh, on the internet right no one mm-hmm. would expect to be paid to for their facebook posts that are like they're not you know hi everyone i'm on holiday uh please can someone feed my cat like no one yeah. Yeah. no one expects to get a kickback from the ads that are on facebook for that but more and more there is some expect i don't know it either feels like we're going to go back to that place where everyone becomes just a user of these platforms and the platforms themselves just get to keep all the ad money or that the financial aspect of it kind of i don't know becomes more and more um because it feels like that kind of social media seems to have almost faded quite a bit like like we talk we're talking mm-hmm. about the creator economy but these days online we are mostly either creators or viewers right the whole thing yeah. has mm-hmm. been turned into a series of economic transactions in a kind of perfect sort of realization of the kind of homo economicus right and it feels like it goes one of it's trending in one of those two directions or 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 maybe we're at a fork between those where it either goes back to a place where there isn't that kind of financial incentive for doing stuff even though the platforms themselves will presumably still be breaking it in because they they're hosting those conversations like facebook does or you get to a place where everything is financially incentivized and it becomes this weird kind of mirage of social interaction where actually everyone's getting paid for everything they do everyone's a walking business like the great example used previously like would x oh my god kill me would would twitter (laughs) uh where twitter posters get paid for viral tweets and Twitter, where that doesn't happen, be the same platform. Obviously, fucking no. The the, the incentivization changes. Uh, vir- virality uh, becomes the new uh, the new norm. Uh, and when virality becomes the new norm on a platform, which at the end of the day is about uh, fast information exchange and opinion exchange, the the the, the, the very soul of this of the whole thing kind of uh, dissipates. Same thing with like when we talk about uh, relatively controversial topics, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that are done on YouTube, which has uh, you know been very restrictive of uh, of quite a few recently. Some, thank God, but some you know not necessarily. Where Patreon comes into that whole conversation is that it 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 was kind of and it still is uh this uh way for you as uh, a content creator especially a relatively political one um to to keep your absolute independence because you do not rely on the algorithm and you do not rely on uh, uh on youtube's uh, idea of what is monetizable and what is not so that kind of uh Platforms like that for the creator economy uh, could be very beneficial because they kind of give more power to an extent to the actual creator instead of the platform on which they post. But then what we see happening uh, and what I haven't really thought about until I watched your uh, great uh, video documentary is that 
now those platforms that we were using to escape uh, the kind of uh, monopoly uh, being exerted on us as creators is also trying to become one of those fucking monopolies that exerts yeah. control over the creator. So uh, I don't know, fucking PayPal me is the future or some fucking shit, <laughs> or just we like creator communes and we no longer work for money. We work for for views. You go, you get like uh, can I have some bread. I just got like seven hundred subscribers. <laughs> Subscribers like uh, only half a bread for seven hundred oh. subscribers, my child. Obviously, I'm fucking around, but it's 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 gonna be yeah. Uh, uh, I always found kind of like not se- let's say security, even though I'm I'm a I'm a coward and I still have a day job. Um, even though I can relatively thanks to all the beautiful supporters waving at you could afford to potentially leave that, but uh, it, it was always kind of a comfort to me. Okay, Patreon exists. This is where uh, you know, no matter what happens, people that genuinely support me and my friends uh, are going to you know uh, have our back, and we're gonna you know put put food on the table. And now even if this like runs out of the the window, then I don't know. Not only a doomer, but it's like. Uh, it feels even more insecure than it uh, than it does now. You feel that way? Yeah, I think. Uh, I'm, so yeah, like I've I've never made a huge huge amount through through Patreon. Like it's been like if if I only had my Patreon money, um, I'd I'd be fucked, right? But um, but but having I'm having lucky because I live in the Balkans. <laughs> yeah, we're all, we also don't make fucking crazy. But, but like I live having in the have... Balkans, so that's my twist. Yeah. Having the amount that like having the amount I do have though has always been really liberating because I go okay yeah. yeah if I don't know I've never been someone who like makes a video and then like runs it past the I don't know like I'm always someone who makes the video does the sponsor read or whatever or 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 upload it to you uploads it to YouTube and goes like oh is this gonna get through I don't put a huge amount I don't know if there was something completely egregious that I could I don't know like I've done a lot of videos that involve the French Revolution. And mm. I would probably avoid putting a video of someone's head literally getting cut off, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like the, the wind than me. <laughs> the, <laughs> like I'm just like the winds of me putting that in compared to the losses of doing it. Right. Like just don't quite. Yeah, yeah. But like I'm not gonna make decide what video to make based on those factors. And therefore, and like having that bit of money that is coming through Patreon has always been like, okay, well, at least it probably won't absolutely kill the whole project if it does get restricted monetization or whatever or uh, you know at least it might (laughs) i mean it might lose money but it won't there's still some money there right um yeah uh, and and, i mean i don't think like i don't think patron income is entirely unproblematic right i think um you got Nick just said there about um you know it puts power in the hands of creators but i think sometimes it can put power in the hands of audiences in a way that i think is kind of interesting and you can get that kind of okay sort of audience capture where so my thing with uh this is very different to talk about russell brand now than it was like two months ago yeah but um when a lot of the allegations came out about him um some people said oh he sort of cultivated this online audience as a way to be able to go uh, ah, I've been telling you not to trust the mainstream media. Um, my feeling towards him is that he's always just been someone who really likes having uh, attention and popularity. And you know, when that was when he was in films, that was that did that. When he was on TV, that was fine. Then he started doing this YouTube thing, and the things he started saying that were more conspiratorial and more uh, <laughs> batshit were always the things that got more views and got more and like 
once yeah. you've got the market kind of pushed them yeah yeah so one and once you've got like i don't know 10 i don't think he's on patreon but like if, if you're doing that and you have ten thousand supporters on patreon or whatever are you gonna like stop doing that probably right. not so i think so i don't think it's entirely i think it'd be, be naive to view it as entirely un- unproblematic i think there are potential ways in which in the same way that being really reliant on you know i don't know people who do camera reviews but then will also mm-hmm, take mm-hmm. sponsorship from camera companies or whatever you're probably never going to absolutely trash whatever that year's camera is right you're going to be a little yeah. bit careful because you're not going to bite the hand that feeds in the same way that we navigate the platform rules of youtube to you know i i go i won't put in that particularly graphic thing of an aristocrat's head getting chopped off um because because i i want to avoid having it demonetized or whatever um you know i think i think there is stuff that probably shapes the content that creators make who do have who have patreon accounts in mm-hmm. in the same way i mean having said all that i think that overall um that that was that was my like sort of contrarian uh, flip side i do think the overall stuff that it is enabled and the thing that kind of makes patreon's kind of crises at the moment like genuinely quite sad is that i think it has enabled a huge amount of really exciting stuff this whole like i'm sure anyone listening now can think of a creator who at least without support from patreon would you know would would have had to not have as much budget to work with to make their videos or you know Mm -hmm. even if they were able to still do it wouldn't have been able to do it on the scale like they are or whatever or you know some people wouldn't be making stuff at all and yeah so i think the really sad is that just just also the 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 connection to you know potentially putting in something that can get completely demonetized not even the conversation about monetization but for example if you're creating uh content at a regular relatively regular basis and you cover for example many many different topics sometimes a topic is uh, a particular topic you know is not going to get a lot of eyeballs but it is extremely fascinating to you and interesting and you would really love to cover it and it's going to get like five times less views than it, than the other thing potentially can get. The direct correlation between views and your income uh, is much stronger than your direct correlation, I guess, between what your patrons expect and what is given. It's it's a bit more mm, stable, mm, but I agree with you mm. completely that it, you know, obviously is not a complete replacement and, you know, we can, you know, breathe easily because of the Lord and Savior Patreon came that allows us to, you know, put whatever we want into our videos and make videos about whatever genuinely uh, uh, we like. It, uh, I guess, back in the day used to help that disbalance a lot more, but now it's uh, another kind of uh, factor that uh, content creators have to play with uh, when it comes to determining what their income is about, which kind of leads us to the more general conversation of so-called passive income you know as they say uh bro you just have two jobs stop calling one of them a side gig <laughs> or uh, there is no such thing as quote unquote passive income even snack dispensers uh, need refilling 
we touched on all of this in a very good other video uh, of yours about the uh, grift economy uh, or the sharing economy as you've outlined in that exact video just like most things operating under you know this uh, market never delivered on the promise of a more peer-to-peer -peer decentralized economy instead it's simply outsourced even more strain on the employee without even giving them uh, employee status uh, your car your apartment, your bike, your time, but the app's monopoly on your potential opportunities coupled with a hefty percentage cut. So uh, please, let's, I guess, move into this kind of one of the last topics of, of this uh, great episode today. Uh, please help us understand the uh, hypocritical world the way you uh, outlined it in uh, in your video of passive income. What's the, what's the pitch and... Uh, does it really work? Yeah, so this, so the idea, so the, the idea for the Patreon video actually grew out of some stuff I wanted to talk about in that earlier Grifts video that didn't quite fit in and also felt very uh, specific. So, um, so I've always been really interested in this, or not always, you know, for, over the last few years I've been really interested in this idea of, of, of like platform capitalism, which is this idea that more and more companies, um, specifically online, but offline as well, uh, more and more of the big companies are about, are essentially involved in kind of rentierism, but are about essentially just trying to be middlemen between two people who are doing a thing. So Amazon, I think as I was saying a moment ago, most of Amazon's money doesn't come from stuff that it buys and then sells on to people. Um, there's a fair bit of um, evidence and or, or speculation from analysts that Amazon loses money on the stuff that you actually buy from Amazon Incorporated or whatever it's called in your local uh, jurisdiction. The stuff that Amazon makes money on uh, is the Amazon Marketplace stuff. So where rather than you buying something directly from Amazon, you're buying it from uh, another user which is usually a company these days right so most um i don't know so yeah you buy a new mouse for your computer it's the first thing i saw and you're actually buying it from a what used to be a computer shop but now it's just a warehouse in wandsworth i don't know and they and you're actually buying it from them through amazon in much the way that ebay used to work and that's where amazon's money comes from now because it not only takes a cut of the sale it also, if you want to be able to have Amazon Prime for your thing, you have to have that unit housed in an Amazon warehouse. And of course, mm -hmm. you pay for whatever product you have to be in that Amazon warehouse. And you don't only pay if it sells there, you pay for how long it's there. So all the risks on you, Amazon just takes the cash. Also, if you want to be top of the search results, you can pay to have yourself boosted to the top of the search results. Mm. But then all of Amazon's costs are as casualized as possible. So um, most of the Amazon vans that drive around, certainly in the UK, I imagine this is the same in most other countries, are not operated by Amazon. It's other, it's external companies. Sometimes the individual drivers will be like freelancers or they're independent, mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote, independent contractors who only get paid for the amount of deliveries they do but because amazon wants them to drive amazon vans they make them pay to hire the amazon van to do the amazon deliveries so amazon is all about having as little of the risk as possible 
and putting all the risk onto everyone else and then just being uh, a middleman because if you are on one side a monopoly so the place that most people will go to buy something which amazon certainly to its prime users is who are kind of locked into its system i read one uh, i think it was in one of cory doctor's books uh, that said uh, that if someone is signed up to amazon prime the, the there was a study that said that only one percent of them will check somewhere else before buying something like if they've bought amazon prime they're they're, they're like that's where i'm getting all my stuff now uh and amazon is also uh a what, what we call a monopsony these days as well so monopsony is sort of the the flip side of a monopoly so um it's a company which has a uh supply side monopoly i guess so if you mm. want to sell a product these days you should sell it through amazon you'd be mad to not sell it through amazon in the u.s like walmart is very similar um mm-hmm. so so Amazon's demands will get implemented across all kinds of products. So if Amazon says a product needs to be XYZ, it will be XYZ wherever you buy it because Amazon's such an important customer for the company that makes that thing or not, you know, it's such an important shop. So so Amazon becomes this like really important linchpin that avoids as much risk as possible um, and only does the stuff that makes the most money and everything else it sort of manages to have very slopey shoulders for so i've been really interested in that for a while youtube can sometimes be, be seen as similar a lot of uh you know uber again very similar in that you know the people that drive for uber are not employees of uber a lot of delivery apps are the same and then sort of maybe a year or so ago i start to see popping up on uh, on youtube specifically i think but also maybe maybe some other places a lot of this kind of anti-grifter sort of content, lots of people sort of taking down people who had various sort of online grifts where they said they're going to uh, teach you how to make really easy money uh, uh, online. Yeah. And usually then they'll sell you a course that's going to teach you how to make all this easy money. And the and the, the schemes like range massively. Um, yeah, so like vending machines is a big one these days. People telling you that you could just buy like ten vending machines and you'll make a fortune, <laughs> yeah. um, even though yeah they need restocking right and they break and stuff. Or uh, that you can like publish so like print on demand stuff is really big as well. Like what if you made a mug that said um, "World's Best Dad" on it and presumably everyone would buy your mug and you'd become a millionaire through selling that mug um mm-hmm. but all of these schemes are sort of nonsense and don't really make any money but i was really interested in what the appeal of them was as well as the appeal of like the anti-grifter stuff itself like that interested me as much i think for how dominant it seemed on a lot of my feeds and i wanted to sort of pair those ideas together and so the the, the video about the grift economy was very much about that was how does this idea of passive income online mirror a kind of version of that has maybe always existed in some senses within a capitalist economy right profit is envisioned in some ways as a kind of passive income but the ways Mm -hmm. that capitalists will rationalize their making of huge amounts of profit is that they put some work in right that it is a return on risk or in capital investment or whatever it is that or you know their endless genius that it was to buy that particular <laughs> product or whatever why did you do it then <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah whereas um 
whereas passive income has this thing of like no it's it's even better because you didn't um mm. and it felt like this mm. i don't know it almost feels like this very late stage capitalism thing where and I, and I never quite go into this in the video but where we've sort of given up even pretending that yeah. profit is the result of hard work uh good timing right. or whatever it's just like uh, imagine if you can find the the free way to make money instead of the difficult labor intensive <laughs> way, way. Yeah. And then after after like three years, it ends up being ten times worse than even the shit we considered very bad previously. Yeah, so it goes. Oof! All of a sudden, <laughs> I don't even have a work contract. All of a sudden, I don't even have days off, paid leave. Oh my god! All of a sudden, I have to pay for my own medical expenses. Like at some <laughs> point, I think they'll make like Uber drivers pay their own taxes and shit as well. Oh wait, <laughs> certain states in the states they do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fucking classic Ain't that shit. the way but because because in some ways there's like a there's an appeal to kind of dignity in there like the, the like a sort of f appeal to a sort of full sense of dignity in there of going if they can pitch to you that you're like your own that you're your own boss right you're your mm. yeah, you yeah. are classic sort of a small business shit. yeah yeah even though you're getting fucked over I mean, but the, the difference between MLMs, not the Maoists, but uh, <laughs> old school, old school pyramids, pyramid schemes and uh, the regular uh, gig economy thing is not very different. Even even like, OK, the people listening to this podcast are mostly left leaning and they understand this sort of analysis uh, and look at things mostly from a, from a class perspective. But uh, even like, let's say, from a consumer perspective, you know, uh, it used to be, you know, it's, it's, it's extremely easy for me to order my food to come to my my place and then uh the app would connect to the guy that that brings uh the food over uh based on the price and their deal with the restaurant uh, the company would make a certain amount of money and then they would pay the delivery guy uh but now uh 95% of uh, restaurants that I want to get deliveries from in the particular city that I live in uh I pay for the delivery fee I, and sometimes, mm -hmm. and it's obviously, okay, adapt to inflation or whatever the fuck. It's five, six times what it used to be two, three years ago. So now the consumer is also fucked because he's paying for the delivery fee. The driver is fucked because uh, he's no longer getting actually paid by the guy who, quote unquote, is his employer. Uh, the only one gaining anything from this because they like remove themselves both from the payment process to the to the quote-unquote employee and from kind of what they owe the the consumer in you know typical uh, capitalist uh, consumer is always right um, fashion and they have, end up being the only one gaining something out of this so we'll see the interesting kind of direction that all of this goes where uh, not only the actual person working in this service is getting screwed over but the consumer client is as well I mean everybody knows about how Uber you know oh my god it was so much cheaper than taxis up until what up until what all the taxis disappeared mm. and now it's super fucking expensive brilliant I didn't see that coming did you uh, and but now they have other apps that Uber is competing with, and so on and so on. It is, uh, but all of it when you really take it back to the to the you know original uh, classic analysis is uh, as long as uh, 
profit is not only your main, but now for a lot of companies, it's becoming the absolutely only driving force. Uh, you eventually, you know, eat yourself, eat your consumers, but uh, all of that comes as a dessert after you eat your employees. And nowadays, they can't <laughs> even say they're going to eat their employees because you're not my employee. I, this is just a dude that downloaded an app, and he has his car, and he drives people around, you know. That's, that's, that's basically it. So um, what we're saying is we're all, all of us here on this podcast are the most oppressed class. Um, yes. No yes. one has Content ever creators. suffered as much as we have. Content creators, <laughs> the most oppressed class of all time. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the, the Uber thing, though, brings it right back around to the venture capital thing because Uber was a big like venture capital sponge for a long, long time. Um, mm -hmm. And it's in, so its valuation at one point was based on the idea that it would not only become a monopoly uh, in relation to ride sharing and not only become a monopoly in relation to like taxis more generally, but that it would become the only form of public transport um, at all, it. right? That there'd be no buses, <laughs> there'd be no, there would, there would only be Uber, um, which is Matt. So it spent, a, yeah, so it spent a shitload of money to subsidize journeys for a very long time so that it could gain that monopoly um and win over kind of hearts and minds as well so that because in a lot of places it just launched illegally like in australia it didn't have any of the licenses it needed to launch but it relied on the fact they could just throw so much money at it that people would like yeah. it enough that like no i don't know what their members of parliament or congress people or whatever are called in australia but that like no one none of them would dare to go like well this is banned now because they'd never mm. get voted in again um right and so yeah so uber is a big was a big venture capital sponge and the reason it's now actually more expensive than taxis ever were is because they've decided that they're at the point which it feels like patreon might be at the moment where they've gone okay now we need to be a profit company we need to you know mm -hmm. actually we need to work out how do we get some of that money back <laughs> And and it's becoming so expensive now when they're saying, how do we get this money back? But when they get it back and they ask the question, for example, now the, the investors in Patreon are asking, how do we start making even more? <laughs> can you can you fucking imagine what's going to happen to all the delivery people and all the Uber drivers? And all, I, don't, I don't even want to go there, like mentally. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting future to, to definitely ponder on. Mm. Uh, it all but, comes back to the prime directive. It's just capital must accumulate we must constantly increase the amount that of profit that we that we create mm -hmm. eventually it's we're going to get to a point where there is nothing left to extract really we're at the point now where the only thing you can extract from is from the very people who are doing the work for mm -hmm. you so what happens when you run when you tap that source dry and that'll be a very interesting thing to watch develop because that is the next logical step is once you've once you've bled out your very your employees or your contractors or your gig workers or whatever, what's next? Well, I think then you launch the metaverse, right? And you just make up a bunch of <laughs> yeah. shit and sell. Exactly. And yeah. You, you, you can you, work. Uh, you can work in the digital mines, my son, from the comfort <laughs> of your own table, of your own <laughs> like, chair. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you're just stacking economies upon economies. And, oh my goodness! <laughs> no, if there's no fascinating physical places to expand capitalism to, you make some up, right? Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> what a beautiful time to be alive. Seriously, <laughs> fascinating, dystopian, 
I find new shush, ways shush, to what be is both. Shush, 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 shush. We should be supporting this because as content creators, we have the largest <laughs> yeah. online real estate of them all. You know, oh, <laughs> we're basically in, in the digital world where we are uh, the Britney Spears and uh, Hugh Jackmans. <laughs> oh God, yeah, it's going to uh, be interesting. We are simultaneously the oppressed underclass and the Uber class that that controls the online commons. <laughs> it is exactly, a- we're oppressed in the physical world. That is why we are supporting the full digitalization of the entire planet. <laughs> the metaverse is the most communist project ever created oh from the God. perspective. No, th- you see, that's the future. You know, after after the bourgeois is destroyed, there's going to be new uh, class contradictions between uh, the proletariat and some other class that emerges, blah, blah, blah. And that happens for hundreds of years. And we get to uh, a great point. But we already found what, uh, what the new contradiction is going to be. It is going to be between the digital proletariat, which is the great <laughs> content creators, and, you know, the, the disgusting sweaty toiling masses of the ground so that is that is the future civil wars of of our species uh, uh. But, but let's not keep uh, our dear dear guest with our degenerate conversation points any <laughs> yeah. longer well there you go everybody uh i think we've solved all of the world's problems yet again we have a habit of doing that on this podcast uh, we've today we've solved the gig economy the creator economy we have <laughs> charted a, a course into our beautiful digital future um, where we will be your overlords, um, and we expect your applause. Looking so, forward uh, to passive-aggressive emails from our Patreon <laughs> yeah. guy or whatever. Do we even have a Patreon guy? Patreon doesn't even give not. you a guy. They don't even no. give you a guy. Why don't we have a guy? Sorry, you, yeah. you pay no extra for the guy. Special. Actually, you do genuinely. Pay <laughs> yeah, 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 there you guy. go. There you go, Patreon. You, you good idea. You, you, you force creators to have a guy. You like employ. Take another fifteen percent. Take another fifteen percent, and then give <laughs> us a guy. Yeah. 15, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But at least we'll be able to say, I have a guy, you know, I'm walking yeah, away. Yeah, It's worth it. It's worth it. Well, Tom, thanks again for coming on. Please do tell our dear listeners where they can find you and your work. Uh, yeah, if you go to youtube.com, you can uh, search my name, Tom Nicholas, and uh, some things I made will come up and some of them might not be bad. Wow, that is the beauty, truly the beauty of the internet. You tell it what you want and sometimes you get it. Well, there you all have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to all our patrons uh, after uh, we've we've kind of uh, insinuated that perhaps you're holding us hostage this whole episode. <laughs> so thank you. We really, truly couldn't do this without you. Um, we love you all. Mwah, many kisses. And we will be back in the next episode. With all that being said, this has been The Deep Program. I'm JT. I'm Yugopnik. And I'm Tom. And please give us more money. Patreon. <laughs> Woo! Patreon.com. Patreon. Patreon.